In the past couple of years, I've read biographies of two very different men, Walt Disney and Hugh Hefner. Mm. And you know what? Funny thing is, they're the same guy and they <laughs> built like the same empire. They both uh, talked about living in a castle and they both had animals representing a mouse or a rabbit. And it, 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 it was really interesting to study how kind of unwittingly they both built their businesses and what they were known for in two very different kind of industries. Right. And yet the method and the process was very much the same. You are listening to Next Up Nation, where leaders and influencers dish their secrets to inform, inspire, and entertain serious podcasters with host Tiffany Youngren. I don't know of anyone who can put storytelling into context as well as my friend Matt Gordon. Becoming well-known just isn't enough. You also want to become the leading authority in your field, so get ready to take some notes. You know, if you're like many experts who podcast or are thinking about podcasting, don't believe anyone who tells you that you have to wait for a certain number of downloads or anything else for that matter before you can start making money at it. To see what I mean, go to profitpodcasting.com slash listener to download our three pillar profit podcasting playbook. I'm giving it away to valued listeners like you so you can step up and become next up. Here's the show. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Thank you so much for listening. Today, I am so excited to welcome Matt Gordon, founder at Authority Muse. Matt is, he is the Authority Muse. He's been in the advertising and marketing field since the early 1990s and has been in online marketing since the late 90s. He is a historian focusing on marketers, marketing campaigns, and business, culture, and political leaders. Matt, welcome. Thank you very much, Tiffany. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. You are so talented in areas that I am absolutely terrible at. So I have so much admiration for your storytelling and your ability just to grab a story for really anything. It seems I don't know that you're terrible at anything. But... <laughs> no, I'm really terrible at this. Storytelling, I think you can get good at. Do you think or do you feel like people are either good at it or they're terrible? And if they're terrible, they're always terrible. Or do you think they oh, can learn it? Yeah, there's definitely a, a set of skills involved. And and I don't even really, I don't even think that I, I study like the art form of storytelling. That's not really my wheelhouse, but it, that's certainly a skill that you can get good at. One of the resources for that, by the way, I'm always throwing up book recommendations so you can hashtag number one here is a book called Story by Robert McKee. And that's really a Hollywood script writing book. It's really thick and, and long. And, and he talks all about how to put a story together. And when the guys who started Pixar wanted to get into movies, they went and took his workshop up in LA. Oh. And yeah, he's revered in the industry, the entertainment industry for his ability to teach people how to put together stories. That's, that is so cool. In fact, that leads me to the first question that I wrote down after I knew that you were going to be on the show is what are you reading now? Oh my gosh, what am I reading now? Good question. So I, I'm involved in a couple of projects this year and that's taking up quite a bit of my reading. So right now I've got Love's Labor's Lost. It's a Shakespearean play 
And this year I'm going through every play Shakespeare ever wrote uh, one by wow. one. And so I think there's 38 of them, 39, depending on, on what you count. I think I'm on number 20, 21 or so right now. So that's on the bookshelf. I'm reading Breakthrough Advertising, which is an interesting story on its own by Eugene Schwartz. A hard to find book and an expensive book if you want to pick up a used copy. Uh, it had the reputation of being the most stolen book from the uh, NYC public library system. Oh, wow. People check it out and not return it. It's just one of those, if you're in advertising or marketing, you've got to read. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth it's stealing. It's good. Yeah. Well, I I didn't say that, but yeah. I'm saying I'm observing what that story you just told me. I'm thinking if it's worth stealing, it must be really good. (laughs) Yeah. I I think those are probably the two. I'm actually finishing up a a novel that I started on vacation, like one of those Jack Reacher novels. If you've seen the the Tom Cruise couple of movies where he plays that character. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. This sort of unrepentant beach read. You got to have your fun stuff. I don't know. I'm I think that's probably why I find my weaknesses in history and storytelling because all the books I read are about like economics and, you know, brain science. <laughs> I curl up with a nice cup of tea and just, you know, <laughs> read I, about. Uh, I just economics. finished uh, a book a couple of days ago called Lincoln on the Verge. And I've been recommending oh, this yeah. one. I've been recommending this one to just about everybody. It's the story of Abraham Lincoln's train trip from Springfield, Illinois, to Washington, D.C., to be inaugurated as president in 1861. And it's a fascinating story, really well written. And there's all sorts of political intrigue and assassination plots going on. And the country's falling apart at the time because we're days away from the Civil War, really. Mm. So it's a really interesting and and well-done book by Ted Widmer, Lincoln on the Verge. So why is that relevant now? Like that book, because I've heard you mention it seems like it's a timely book as well. well. You know, I, I think no matter what side of things you're on politically, and I'm not here to make a stand for any of that, but I, I think a lot of people have the sense that our country is trying to divide and everything's just getting more and more divisive. And that's a situation that's very relevant, I think, to what was going on in the Civil War over slavery in the territories, slavery in the South, and the country was just really a bubble waiting to burst at that time. And it was falling apart as he was riding the train wow. to D.C. I, I think in the feeling of the country and, and the way things were in, in 1861, there are a lot of similarities, unfortunately. And, and you would uh, hope that we could learn from some of the things that happened in the 1800s and and not let them happen again. And find comfort that people were able to overcome. And it's just how much pain do we want to go through while we overcome it and learn, like you said, from what has happened in the past too. So, well, excellent. I'm so excited to talk to you about how specifically influencers can use storytelling, the benefits that you with it, some different tips about it. But before I do, before I move on to that, one thing that you shared with me before that I thought was interesting, something interesting about you is that you once taught presidential candidate Pat Buchanan how to operate his suitcase. I have to know, like, what? <laughs> so funny story. This is back in 1997, maybe 1998. Pat Buchanan is doing the rounds on on talk radio stations, promoting a book, I think, 
I don't really remember the circumstances, but I worked in talk radio at the time back in the nineties and, and he came by and we, in radio, we had these things called carts and they looked like eight track tapes. If you you remember those (laughs) and and that's what we would play like the commercials on and we would have sound effects and some little jingles and, and, and things like that on them too. And you'd, you could trigger them from the control board and all that sort of thing. And so for the, the morning show, I had a, a briefcase I kept in the studio with all of the carts, all of the sound that we needed to do the morning show. And I think I had opened it up for something. We, we did the interview and, and he's getting ready to walk out and he sees my briefcase there on the floor up against a wall. And he picks it up and he's looking at it. And the funny thing is it had an expandable feature where if you undo a couple of buttons on the inside of the briefcase, it would like the sides would pop out another inch or so to give you more room in the briefcase. So anyway, he's looking at it and the way the, the suitcase comes together when it's closed, like that expansion thing, it starts wider at the top and then narrows as it, as it goes down the, the sides of the briefcase. And, uh, and he picks it up and he's looking at it and he's really studying this briefcase. And I'm thinking in my head, and we're still on the air, so I can't like yell, hey, leave that alone. Yeah, but yeah. I'm thinking, oh no, he thinks that's his and he's going to walk out with it. This is bad. <laughs> and so I walk over there and I'm like, hey, that's my briefcase. <laughs> and he goes, no, yours has the same problem I do. Look, it's broken here on the side. I'm like, no, that's not broken. It's made to be like that. And I open it up and I pop out the buttons and you can push out the side from the inside. <laughs> And he was just amazed by this. <laughs> He's oh, I, I picked it up in New York City for 40 bucks. I thought the damn thing was broken. I'm like, no, no, no. It's fine. Oh, so, that's awesome. That is awesome. Just changed yeah. his world in that moment. That's awesome. I, I sure did. I was able to, to teach Pat Buchanan something. So. That's, that's funny. Being a storyteller in marketing, and I know you help people come up with stories. I feel like you're just a walking person who just, like we could bring almost anything up and you've got the most fascinating story about it. What got you interested in using storytelling in marketing? I I would have to say that a a book I read, I don't know, about 15 years ago by Seth Godin called All Marketers Are Liars Mm. probably had something to do with it. And really it, it wasn't about marketers being dishonest. It was really, and, and I think he changed the title of the book later on to All Marketers or Storytellers or whatever, <laughs> but it talks about how marketing helps us, like as consumers, right? As consumers, how marketing helps us to tell ourselves the story in our head about ourselves and the people we want to be hmm. and, and, and how our buying is affected by our aspirations and and by how our concern for what other people think works and, and that kind of thing. Hmm. So, you know, from then on, it, it just became really clear to me that stories are a big way that information is conveyed and people are influenced, I think, Tiffany. If you look at all sorts of celebrities and, and public figures, when you talk about them, you don't really talk about like their resume you have a narrative about them and that's really what it's about. And so I help people that are looking to build a platform and influence people. Here's how to develop that narrative about yourself and how to make that into a story that people want to repeat 
and how you can use that story to influence their actions and their decisions. Hmm. So that's where it all came from, I think, is just learning how we remember things and, and the way we process stories. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Is that I I listen to Ryan Serhant a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's got really great training. He had a show called Sell It Like Serhant. And as another weakness that I've self-imposed on myself is selling. I always feel like that's I like it a lot more now that I realize I don't have to actually actively sell. It's more of a a process. But uh, I listen to Ryan Serhant a lot and he says to use understand what you're, oh, he's the one who kind of thing. Is that, does that have anything to do with it too? So if we're looking at developing our brand and, and understanding our story, like I'm the one who mm-hmm. likes to cook and does podcasts or is I, there uh, some kind of, does that have anything to do with that or absolutely. what are your thoughts? Uh, I use a little bit different terms than that, but I think yeah. it, it probably approximates the same thing. I tend to talk about it as you need to be known as the person and okay. then known for something. Okay. And so if we look at one of the one of the things that people that really get into this start doing, and I am not in, into this at all from a, a consumer point of view, is like superheroes and, and comic books and stories like that and, and movies. And think of the heroes and the characters. They're always known as something and for something. Mm. And they've got some sort of unique or special ability, like a superpower. And that's a key part of kind of building up the legend of who you are and why you're interesting to people. And coming from really history background, what we find is when we start working with stories and things like that and content marketing, really, in a lot of ways, history gives us a number of models to use. And once you start identifying those like frameworks, coming up with your own stuff becomes a lot easier and you just plug in the stuff that's uniquely you. Do you mind sharing an example of that? I think one of the more fascinating frameworks that we we can talk about is the fact in the past couple of years, I've read biographies of two very different men, Walt Disney and Hugh Hefner. Mm. And you know what? Funny thing is they're the same guy. (laughs) <laughs> and they built like the same empire. They both uh, talked about living in a castle and they both had animals representing a mouse or a rabbit. And it, 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 it was really interesting to study how kind of unwittingly they both built their businesses and what they were known for in two very different kind of industries. Right. And yet the method and the process was very much the same. That is really interesting. That is really interesting. And the news, if you just think about the news or or anything, they always label people to help imprint so we remember who it is and why we connect with them. So it seems like you expand on that and are really intentional about helping influencers and authorities do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way it it works. And, And then we also talk a little bit about how do you structure your content? So one of the models we use is the Gettysburg model. So the Gettysburg address is, I don't know, 110 words or something like that. I think a lot of kids in school have to memorize it or, or whatever. But if you look at the address, it's, it's basically three, three paragraphs. He starts talking about the past and then moves on to the present and then ends by talking about the future. 
And he draws this thread of sacrificing for liberty through the past, present, and the future. If you can keep that Gettysburg model in your head, whether you're writing a blog post or you're recording some audio or you're on a video and you're talking about trends and and things like that, you can very quickly talk about the past, the present, and the future, and then trace that thread through all of it. I love that. That is, it's just really cool how when you break it down, it, it nothing, none of it is new. It's all no. been done. It's been done well. It's something that we can definitely build on. My listeners are, a lot of them, they are authorities and experienced and serious podcasters and a lot of whom are speakers. Is this whole storytelling, how can uh, someone who's getting up and doing a presentation or a keynote, how can they benefit from this concept of storytelling, or is it even important? It is important, and I I say that we use stories for purposes. And so it's not just stories. A lot of my stories are history and that kind of thing. But even when they're not history stories, but even fables or or things that have happened to you, what do we use stories for? And, And I think that we've got, I don't know, three, maybe four answers to that. Number one, we can use stories to attract the kind of people that we want to talk to. So we would call that uh, a a dog whistle content kind of thing. We're not trying to entertain. We're not trying to educate necessarily. We're we're trying to get the right kind of listeners or readers, the people that would be interested in what we have to say. We have stories to teach and glorify values and principles. So you can use stories to train your audience that, okay, we're this club, this group of people, and we're for this and we're against that. And we have our our kind of guiding principles and recurring themes that we talk about. And so we use stories to to teach those to people and to glorify those values and make them better customers and, and more into our worldview that we need them to be more profitable. That's awesome. It's, yeah, I you're just blowing my mind right now. I'm like, I really want to have something smart to say back, but I'm basically taking mental notes nonstop. So that's awesome. Now, when it comes to podcasting, I know you're rolling out your podcast and as you do it, I'd love to get your input on how someone who is podcasting in any industry or yeah, in any industry is, does storytelling play a role in that? Is there a way that when, as we're creating content for a podcast that we should be keeping that in mind? And how do we implement that, if so? If I understand your your question correctly, <laughs> how do we implement? When you're podcasting, you're addressing an audience, whether mm-hmm. you think of that as a, a vast group of people, or hopefully you make it feel like you're talking to just one person, Tiffany. Right. And, and for that reason, one of the things that you want to do, I would think, would be to build that empathy bridge with that person so they feel like uh, they understand you and, and they feel also you understand them. And so it's building that relationship. I was always so surprised in working in, in radio, gee, 100 years ago now or whatever it was. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, That's when I started my stuff too. So <laughs> yeah. it was just a few years ago. Yes, go on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago when I was in my <laughs> 20s, it, it, it always amazed me by like how intimate the radio medium was. People listen 
in bed, in the shower, while they're cooking, while they're driving. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that's a big part of it is learning how to talk about yourself in a way that builds empathy with other people and how you can talk to them about them and stories are, are the way that, that we do that. I personally also use stories to, I, I think that there's a lot of thought right now into what is useful content and what isn't and how was, how has that changed over time in an age where you can Google anything now? I think that there are some kinds of information that just it's commoditized, right? Who cares if I need to know how to do something, I'll just go Google it and learn and do what I need to do and forget it five minutes later. And the value of information is in the meaning that we ascribe to it. And there needs to be that emotional connection there. Mm. That's a big part of it, I think. And Robert Collier, who was a, a marketing copywriter that I'm sure you've probably heard a little bit about, he talks about joining the conversation in the head of your prospect. Mm. And that's so key. And, and that's so often the difference between content of any form that really resonates with people and content that falls flat. Uh, when you join that conversation in their mind and you start talking to them about what they're already thinking about, it just works so much better, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I'm so fascinated because I've my first introduction to hearing anything that you had to say was you on video sharing a story about like how marketing started. <laughs> and we've talked about two things. We've talked about how people can use, how we can use stories and put the story together in a way that people, it resonates with the people who are listening to meet them where they are and to help be on that journey with them. But then I know that you use historical stories as well. What are some ways that people can use that? For me, I'm very literal and I love what you do, but I've told you before, I don't like, as soon as you say history, I'm like, peace out. I don't like, I know it's important, <laughs> but I would rather have a data set that shows me if this, then that, and I will pay close attention. So when you, but when you tell stories, it is captivating. Like I, you have my attention and that was interesting. I don't have that same feeling of dread, <laughs> but as a marketer, like how can we use stories like that to connect? Is there a way that someone like me, who's very, how do I put this puzzle together so I can use it? Because I feel like there's something there. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about what it's not, and then we can talk about what it is not is necessarily being an extraordinarily good writer or being an eloquent speaker, because I'm neither of those things. What matters is, again, the value of information is the meaning that we ascribe to it. And so when we use history, what we don't want to do is just focus on the facts. All right. Like the, the writer's thing or talking about movies, science fiction is bad when it gets too caught up in the science. Mm. It's really about the fiction and the story and, and that kind of thing. And, and history is the same thing. When history gets caught up in almost like trivia and, and just the dry facts, it, it does become useless. <laughs> so the way that we use history correctly is by providing context and conclusions. Those okay. are the two keys, right? We, we give the context of what our, our, our audience 
what our prospect, what our client is facing right now. Okay, so here's like the bigger picture throughout kind of time. And then from that, here's where we are and here's some conclusions that we may draw based on on all of that. So history has a great importance in terms of helping people understand, yeah, that happened. So what does that mean? And that's really when we use history to make sense of the world around us, like that's a big deal. Hmm. So if you were in a car wreck yesterday, your day today might be very different because of what you had to do. Even if you weren't injured, you're like, okay, maybe I've got to go pick up a rental car. I've got to get my car towed to a shop. I got to get estimates for the auto body. You know, even if it's just like a, a regular fender bender, your today is massively different than what it was going to be because of what happened yesterday. True. And, and that's a really big deal. And so it's not only what we're facing, but how we make sense of it in, in our heads, mm-hmm. I think. And, and I've got a longer personal story about that, but I, I had a medical event happen a couple of years ago that could have been life-threatening, could have been really serious, and it was really scary at the moment. And, and I'm fine now. Everything worked out just fine. But I spent a lot of time after that just trying to wrap my head around what had happened. Mm. And was I supposed to learn anything from that? Like, how do I make sense of that? How does that affect me in terms of being a life impacting or or life defining moment? Mm. And that's when I realized, oh, that's what history does. Oh, wow. Yeah. And ever since then, I've really just been on a mission to learn more and more history and try to apply it today. We talk a lot about, I feel like in leadership and in trainings that we're in and things like that about shortening the learning curve by learning from other people. And I feel like we're really short-sighted unless we're looking to history to also broaden that. Today you posted about it being the anniversary of Amazon, you know, and things like that. It's like, wow, I forgot. It was just a bookstore that was on a really terrible website. Like I totally forgot, (laughs) but it's true. And then it becomes this amazing, huge thing that is, doesn't look anything like that anymore. Yeah. There's a, a great book about the founding of Amazon and the growth of Amazon called the everything store by Brad Stone. Hmm. And, uh, it, it's a really good read. And one of the things you'll read in this, and you're gonna have to go try this yourself. You won't believe <laughs> me until you try it yourself. But Jeff Bezos didn't know what to call the store. And so they messed around with a number of ideas. And one of the, the shortlisted candidates was relentless. Okay. <laughs> and if you type in your browser, relentless.com, it'll forward you to Amazon still to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so everyone, go try that and uh, comment on this episode and and tell yeah. us what you think. That is so cool. I love that. I know. I keep debating. You've done such a good job of sharing stories with us and connecting how storytelling is so important, whether it's our own story or stories from history. Can you just indulge me and share the story about branding, even though you did share stories already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just learned this. I was taking a course on uh, the history of bourbon, which is America's only spirit, by the way. (laughs) And in there, what I learned was in the 1820s or so, 
alcohol was just a commoditized agricultural product. And so just like when you go to a restaurant and there's salt or sugar on the table, you don't really care what the brand of the salt is. You don't care about the, the brand of the flour they use to make the rolls at the, at the restaurant or something like that. It's, it's just a commoditized product that was really interchangeable. What producers started doing in, in the whiskey world, and, and really bourbon wasn't even, that term was just starting to be used back then, but they had whiskey. And they had wine and producers would brand their name, like literally physically burn their name on the barrels and crates so that they could begin to promote their stuff as maybe better than the competitors and ask for this. And of course, that allowed them to charge higher prices as well. So that is how branding got its <laughs> name is people started branding their names on things. And then in 1870, that's when the government said, okay, we're going to allow you to trademark brand names so that your competitors can't use something similar to try to create confusion in the marketplace or, or whatever. And, uh, and then branding was further extended in the late uh, 1820s. A guy named, uh, you know, people should just know more about this guy, especially right now. His name was... <laughs> Edward Bernays, and he was, I think, a nephew of Sigmund Freud, but he was the father of propaganda, all right? Okay. I think he started in, like, Austria, I want to say, moved to the United States, and when they, uh, so, in, in, so in 1928, he came out with this book called Propaganda, explained it all. He was really bummed out when, when they found copies of his book, like, in Nazi headquarters, and they were using that to manipulate people. He was Jewish himself, so it was really hurtful to him. Oh, and so yeah. he rebranded himself basically. And so he said, okay, we're not going to call it propaganda anymore. We're going to call it public relations. Mm -hmm. And that's where that term came from. But my point is that Bernays was the first person to theorize that if you can associate your product with an idea, you could influence people to, to change their behavior and buy your product or do something else. Oh, that is so, so I love that story. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Finding. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you'd like to share? Man, I didn't really have a, a list of things that you could ask, but I, I love the conversations. Where would I take it from there? Probably if you've got people that are looking to build a platform, uh, particularly in the business space or what have you, you could do a lot worse than to start studying the copywriters who really gave us some of the advertising and marketing techniques that are still in use today. So names like Rosser Reeves, who wrote a book called Reality and Advertising. He was the first one to come up with a unique selling proposition. Why is your product different than someone else's? And, and why should a prospect choose to do business with you instead of all the other alternatives? People like that. Learn about Albert Lasker, who fundamentally was the inventor of orange juice. Mm. David Ogilvy, certainly a name in, in the marketing agency world that we've heard a lot. And, and that's always uh, a good person to study and get his take on how he viewed advertising and marketing and really running an agency. That I think for someone who is really looking to be in the influence business, I think that's where you go is, is to the people that invented the concepts and did it first. Hmm. 
I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that is genuinely an amazing nugget right there. So especially giving us names. Thanks for name dropping it too. Okay. I do have one more question. And be, wait, before I go, one thing that you were talking about just now with the people who started it and how I often say marketing is the same. I started in real estate and marketing about the time that you were in radio. <laughs> and it's remarkable to me how exactly the same it is. The tools are different. The way that we communicate changes by the week right now, but it really fundamentally stays the same. And I know we're in the same mastermind group. I have to disclose that too, because I, I love that <laughs> mastermind group. And I also like that you're such a Mad Men fan <laughs> like I am. But that show, that's one of the things I loved about it was how it just screamed that it is exactly like they're going through the th same things that we go through with our clients and what we're doing when we're facing when we're marketing as well. So it just, it's good to know history. It's good to understand those who went before us so that we don't have to make those same mistakes. We can start far ahead from, you know, where we would otherwise, if we're just making all the same mistakes over and over again. So that's good. There you go. You've done it for me. How could I uh, <laughs> say it any better than that, right? Oh, I'm just rap. Hey, I've just riff. You gave it. You gave me the content. I just reorganized <laughs> it and said it one more time. So thank you. Thanks for making me look good, Matt. For having all this amazing wisdom that I can just rephrase at the end. But I do have one more question, and this is super important. I love oh. good food. What is your favorite restaurant, and what do you order when you go there? Oh my word. Oh. I didn't know this was coming. <laughs> if you have so many favorites, think about either no. where would you go? Oh, you don't? You have one favorite? I don't even know. Here is my standard answer when my wife and I, she's, so where do you want to eat? I always say the Crown Grill. Okay. And the Crown Grill is not some place that we can drive to because it's the steakhouse, the premium steakhouse onboard Princess cruise ships. So I know that I'm having a good time on vacation in the Caribbean when I'm eating at the Crown Grill. Awesome. So Royal Caribbean, Crown Grill. Uh, uh, princess. Oh, Princess. So what do you order again? Um, what do I, I know I, you can have whatever you want. New York Strip. New York Strip. New York Strip. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And so where can people find you? Authoritymuse.com. So you're going to go there today and, and not really see much there because we're just sort of launching a, a new platform right now for uh, people that are looking to establish authority. We've got an authority muse equation that we're building out, ABC, authority, belief, and compliance, nice. which are the, the three steps to uh, attracting an audience, holding on to it as long as you can, and extracting all the money you can out of them. <laughs> And that's coming. And so we'll have some consulting and group coaching and things like that, as well as a, a digital platform that people can use to do the things they need to do online. I love it. If you're listening to this right now, which obviously you are, go there right this second, because as I record Matt, by the time you are hearing this, he's going to have it. So just go there right this second and see what he's got. He just has so much to offer in this area and really knows his stuff. And Matt, thank you so much again for being here. I just really appreciate it. My pleasure. What a fun conversation. <laughs> good. And I think we got a lot of really good takeaways, including some good book recommendations and the three kinds of stories 
that um, exist and how we can use them, I thought was really helpful as well. Thank you so much again, Matt. Thank you for everyone who is listening. Thank you to our outstanding team. And remember, the best really is yet to come. Ready? 